0: Well, welcome. Welcome to church today and welcome to our new series that we're going to be looking at, which is called Cultural Disconnects. We live in a time where there is an ever-increasing cultural disconnections. Cultural disconnections on many fronts, not just singular, but on many different places. Let me explain. Let me explain by what I mean by all of this. See, cultural disconnections occur when people from different cultural backgrounds try to communicate but end up talking past one another, not talking with one another. So people talk at people, but people don't actually talk with each other. There's a disconnection. And often, when they talk past one another, talking because this happens because they've been formed and informed by by their difference of the culture that they've been brought up in. Disconnection happens. So you can be from different cultures, and you can be connected with people around you from another culture, and that happens when you you actually open yourselves up and you listen to the other person, you listen to what they're saying. But disconnection happens when we are unaware of the difference our cultural background makes and we assume that we are correct and that everyone else should think and act as we do. Disconnection happens when we are ignorant of the other person's culture. We end up talking at each other rather than hearing what the different meaning has. Let me keep going on this. There are many different kinds of cultural groups that make up our world today. Cultural groups that are national, nationally based. So, you know, if you... If you From France, you have a different culture to that what is if you were in Australia. Um, And you have a different culture to what you have in the US, you know, or to Tonga, or to even New Zealand. You know, we have different cultures. It's from where we grew up, the things that were available to us, our history. Our cultural backgrounds makes up our thinkings. It helps and informs our behaviours and the actions that we do. It also colours the ability for us to connect with other people. Even if we speak the same language, often at times we hear different meanings. I remember one time when I was actually overseas and we were travelling in Europe and we were travelling with uh, some friends who were from the U.S. and we would say something assuming that they would understand the joke and it just didn't land. I don't know whether you've ever had that happen, but their culture and the meaning of the words that we were using meant different things. The nationality disconnect of cultural disconnects is only but one of these. There's disconnections between our religions that we have in our world. There's even disconnections within our own religion, Christianity, or within our own denomination. It was interesting, on Friday I was at a, um, a, a meeting an all-day meeting, and one of the comments that was made during that meeting was that um, approximately there are 45,000 different Christian denominations around the world. 45,000. Think about that for a moment. Different Christian denominations around the world. Um, and, And disconnection happens and people split and create because there's a disconnection. Is an idea and a thinking that is different. But even within our own denomination, you know, and a denomination is the, the grouping of churches that have a similar, similar hierarchy, similar organisation, they band together and they work together as one, hopefully. But I remember back in, in, in doing some mission planning with a, a bunch of different churches uh, that I would always have to make sure that um, we would define what the word actually meant when we're doing it. Because, you know, we might talk about doing mission out into the community and one church will think, well, that actually means that we go and we we serve food to those that are hungry. And that's fantastic. That's coming out and doing mission within the community. Yet another church, when we were talking about this, was thinking that Well, actually, no, it's actually about going out and telling people about Jesus Christ and doing evangelism. That was the mission. And they were talking at loggerheads and not understanding that they were talking about different things but using the same word. They were disconnected because of the culture of their church that said one thing about mission and the culture of the church that said another thing about mission. And when they talked about mission, they talked mission to here and they talked mission to here and they just didn't connect. So we always have to be careful about those disconnections when we use language, even when we use the same language. But probably our biggest cultural disconnection today is that between the religious and the secular the religious and secular disconnection. And this is happening more and more within our society as our society moves towards a more secular society. See, the the secular culture um, sees itself as being not of and set apart from religion. You know, they actually don't understand religious thinking. They don't understand the motivations that sit behind people of religion. This disconnection occurs and as we're going to explore through our series of cultural disconnects, we're going to explore some points of different cultural disconnections, especially Cultural disconnections between Christianity and the world that we live in. Christianity and our heritage, that is the Jewish culture, that Christianity stems out of. And cultural disconnection around our religious practices. But probably the biggest thing I would like us to do during this series, that we're going to be, and we're going to hear from different voices in all of this, is that we must realise that our religious practices may actually be foreign and misunderstood by the world around us. As a church, we seek to make disciples of all nations of all of the worlds. We want the message of the good news of Jesus Christ to go out into all of the world, but if we have a disconnection because of the culture that we have, as Christians, and the world that is becoming more secular and we are disconnected, then we need to find a way to reconnect that. As a church, here's the thing, in order to create reconnection, to be connected again, we need to do the translation for people. We need to do the translation so that they, the world around us, those people are not part of our faith or denomination or anything of that, may understand what we are saying. All too often what happens is that we expect those who may harm and grace us with their presence for a little while, whether it is online, or whether it's in person, whether it's somebody that we meet in the street, we often expect them to do the translation for what we say. I want to say today the thing that we need to learn is that we need to do the translation. We need to change so that we can connect with people. So I want to start today with, with, a, with, a, with a disconnection and that is the disconnection of communion you might go oh. you might think this is going to be a little sacrilege communion is is one of those central sacred moments very meaningful moments of our church of christianity it's actually one of the sacraments i'm using another word there sacraments meaning meaning holy set aside We may not see it in quite that same light, but a lot of churches around the world do. I want you to just think for a moment. Think for a moment from the perspective of someone who's never been part of this church, of a church, and they walk into church today and we're having communion. Firstly, one of the things that, and if they've ever gone to any other churches, is, is that communion actually has lots of different names that we use for it. We might have Eucharist, we've got the Last Supper, we've got communion. Lots of different words that we have for the same act that we do. This is, like a, this is a service of remembrance of what Jesus did with his disciples when they participated in the festival of unleavened bread and shared in the Passover meal. What we do in communion is not Passover. It's not a remembrance of the Passover. It's not a remembrance of the unleavened. It is a remembrance of what Jesus did with his disciples and that was the Passover meal, but he changed it and reframed it. We remember Jesus sharing a meal with his disciple and yet we have a loaf of bread and some small cups with juice in it. Does that represent a meal? Or is it more symbolic that we have here? There is also the disconnects that we have about how we participate in this celebration and in this moment in this special part of the service that we may have and, and we've turned our church around quite you know ninety degrees you know you you might turn up and come to a church where part of communion service would be you'd have the message, you'd have all of the commute you'd have all of the songs, hymns, and then there would be a moment when. Some quiet music may be playing in the background and the the priest or minister would be standing at the front and doing the the solemn parts of the service here and, and then people would come forward as they were either told to, ushered to or as felt led to come and kneel at communion rails and they'd be served and there would be a separation of the communion table and the congregation because it signified the separation of the holiness from the everyday and you would come so far and not be it. Then there would be other places which would be much more free and there would be the breaking of the bread and then passing it around and you'd have servers that would serve each other or it might be even more free and you'd have you serve each other the elements of the service. Then it might be you might come forward and you take a piece of bread and you dump it, dunk, it, dunk it in the cup that is being held called in tincture. all of these things, I and mean, when people are going, "What does this mean? What is the significance? Why is this special?" It's not to go into any of the deep theological differences that happen and come around, the different natures <clears throat> of what, how people think and think about communion, you know, whether it is a representation of the blood and body of Jesus Christ or it actually becomes in the prayers the body and blood of Christ. I have been in communion services where there have been different people of different nations and you have to be careful because at one time the person leading the communion had this wonderful loaf of bread and had poppy seeds And they broke it and the poppy seeds fell all over the floor. And the people that thought that this was of the blood and body of Christ were aghast and afraid to step on any of those poppy seeds. Whereas those that thought it represented the body and blood of Christ were happy to walk through. Lots of kind of different understandings and you can see that there are disconnections that happen. It speaks, and sometimes it doesn't. And when the world outside looks at what we do, is it helpful for them? Does it give the significance of what Jesus does? Does it help us tell the story and the message of Christ? So what I want us to do is hear from the Bible about what Jesus did that we institute as communion. Now I'm going to read from from Luke's Gospel. There are are four accounts of communion within the Bible um, and three of them uh, are are in um, the Gospel, so there's Matthew, Matthew 26, verses 17 to 29, Mark 14, verses 12 to 25, and Luke 22, which is what we're going to use, verse 7 to 38. There's also uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 25. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to read through this and we're going to just sit and we're going to pause and we're going to talk through what we are seeing and hearing in this passage I'm going to be reading through the New Living Translation. Now, the reason why we kind of use the New Living Translation here, and I'm just going to open this up for us, instead of using the, the, the New International Version or the New Revised Standard Version or the New King James Version or the Old King James Version, any of those other versions, is because we want to start breaking down those cultural disconnects. Sometimes the language and the way the Bible is translated... Yes, it is accurate, and that's what we want. We want accurate text, and if I'm doing study, I will go to those other Bible versions to help me see what the words are. The New Living Translation is put in such a way that it becomes more accessible for people. It's lowering the hurdle for people to hear the word of God so that they can hear what God is saying. So this is why we've been using the New Living Translation is because it's more readable, more accessible for us we're trying to stop the cultural disconnects that happen. Because, let me be honest, there's a cultural disconnect between our English language and the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic that was used back in those times, let alone the Latin that it gets translated from. They, they, They write in a different way Their words have different meanings or multiple meanings. They may have gender associated with them. They may have uh, past and present tense, all these different things associated with them. And yet our English language doesn't always connect well with them. And to tell you the truth, our English language also moves and changes. So if we're using something that was written... And translated back in the 1700s, our language has progressed and changed. Our thoughts have changed. And so we are using the New Living Translation to help us create connection with people. All that aside, let's just jump into Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through to 20. And I need to get back into here. Now, the festival of unleavened bread arrived and when the Passover lamb is sacrificed... Now, let, let me just stop there. I was just One verse. When you read this, what do you think of when you read and hear the festival of unleavened bread? This bunch of people that are celebrating um, bread that has had no yeast in it, and they've got these big food stalls with all the different kinds of breads that you can have with no yeast in it. Is that what you think with about a festival of unleavened bread? If somebody was to sort of read that and not have any of the cultural history and understanding of the Jewish culture and what has happened, they may think that's exactly what it is. It's a festival of bread without yeast. And if you talk to a young person about festivals, what do they think of? Do you think of... Splendour in the grass? grass? Of anything like a music festival, of dancing and singing? But yet, what we have here, a festival is a time when you actually go to the temple, the synagogue, and you remember what God has done for the people of Israel as to take them out of slavery and be released into freedom in their own land. Yet, see, when we read this, if you do not have that religious understanding and the history and the understanding of this, it could mean something completely different. Cultural disconnects. Let me go back let alone Passover lamb. If you actually don't know what the Passover is, the story from the Old Testament um, and, and the, the notion of the lamb of God being broken and the lamb actually being slaughtered and the blood put on the lintels of the door, that's the door frames. So now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus said to Peter and John, Uh, sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him and at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks... Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? Now, we, we might think, oh, hang on, he's just turning up and rocking into a place and just being, a, you know, uh, putting in it. Yet this is actually a, 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 a custom that would be happening at that time that people from outside of Jerusalem would come in and people in their own homes would have rooms that would be available for them to celebrate. And share in. Last, last series we talked about hospitality and having that. That's part of that culture, hospitality, being willing and open to let the teacher come and celebrate and teach and show what the Passover meal was all about. So we might think it's strange that they're just going to wander up to a random person and they're going to open the door, but it was kind of almost their custom at that time. He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. And it wasn't just bread and wine as we have here. It was a a meal and it had lots of different elements. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said... I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. So Jesus is starting to to just tell them that this is the final meal, the final moment before his crucifixion. For I tell you now that I I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine now, Annette and I had this interesting discussion just before, um, before church about as we were setting up communion, whether we were going to use uh, the, the wooden um, communion plate and, and goblet, kind of a very medieval kind of goblet, or the silverware you know, that, that, that we have as the church as well. And I was like, which one is less disconnected with the culture of the time? Because it was probably even pottery, it probably wasn't even wood and all of these fancy things. It wouldn't have been silver. It would have been pottery. So we had this little discussion about which one, you know, we know what we like um, and what means more to us. That's why we got the wooden ones. Um, but it's going. Do we want to kind of show that there's even more disconnect and we place on this religious significance by having ornate silverware and all these kind of intricate, tricky patterns and everything in there? Or do we make it much more simple in what it needs to be and what it would have been? So, let me come back to here. Then he took the cup of wine, gave thanks for it, thanks to God for it, Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, and here's the thing, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So here's why we do communion. And here's why we have bread that we break and here's why we say that this is a remembering of Jesus' death on the cross, of him freeing us from captivity of sin and allowing us to be restored back into God's kingdom. It's a symbol of Christ's sacrifice. It's a remembering of that We do this in the moment that we are sharing together as the same way Jesus shared with his disciples and remembered how God intervened for the Israelites and brought them out of Egypt. God intervenes with Christ and brings us away from sin into new life. And after supper... He took, the, uh, took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So at times we have disconnects that happen because of the baggage because of the significance we place on this. But communion allows us to remember what Jesus has done for us. It reminds us that we can share and participate in the grace that God gives us. Communion helps us understand that we are not disconnected from the history that Jesus had with his disciples and the history that the Israelite nation had with God. Communion does not stop us from being disconnected. It reminds us that we are connected. It reminds us That we need to not just do the religious practices, that we need to help and encourage and explain and open up so that what we do doesn't become a cultural disconnect. Let's just pray. Gracious loving God we give you thanks for this moment. We give you thanks that as we remember the meal that you shared with your disciples that it brings new meaning for us. New meaning because we are connected with you and your disciples, new meaning because we are connected with the history of the Israelite people, new meaning because it shows that you love us, that you want to have a connection with us. Oh, Lord God, help us to understand that you want us to be connected with you each and every day, all the time. Help us to understand that we can be connected with our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, even though we may do things differently. Oh, Lord God, help us to be connected with those who don't even know you and help us to be open and honest and help us to be able to share your great love for the world around us. We pray this in your holy name.